Well, thank you, Sheila. Quite entertaining. She was talking about the parables, and it's kind of, I didn't know what her message was today, but it's kind of fitting because we're talking about parables this morning. On our Wednesday evening study, we've been going through the parables, the stories that Jesus told, and beginning to understand them and beginning to apply them. So far, we've had three different parables in the three different weeks we've had the series, and we've discussed the sower, which is the one she shared with the children this morning, and then we went to the ten bridesmaids in our second week, and most recently, then, we went to the rich man and Lazarus, which is found in Luke chapter 15 or 16. But this week, we'll venture into another portion of the, of the Gospels that will give us another parable we'll find on Wednesday evening. But this morning, we don't discuss Jesus' parables. We go to an Old Testament parable that's found in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 18. The text we read today is known often as the potter and the clay. Now, it's not often you find a parable in the Old Testament, but they do exist. And the parable we look at today, again, the potter and the clay in Jeremiah chapter 18, had an immediate application in that day and time when, when Jeremiah received it and spoke it to the, the people of Judah. But he spoke it to them because it had the impact on both the nation and the people. We're going to get into the parable in just a moment in case you're not familiar with it. Chances are you've heard it before. But it had an immediate application for both the nation and the people. And the same really could be said today. Meaning that that text that we're going to examine today in Jeremiah 18, we're going to look at the first 17 verses, that that particular text, the parable of this, the potter and the sower, is timeless, perhaps in its application. The overall message today tells us that that particular parable can apply to our country, to the situation we find ourselves in. Now, that may be something you may be surprised by, but let's get into the text, read it first, and begin to uncover it and begin to elaborate and explain. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to look at the first 17 verses. Stand with me if you're able to, as we do to honor the reading of the word. We find Jeremiah in chapter 18 having this that he's written, is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. He says, so I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if, that, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you 
Return everyone from his evil way, and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? Verse 13, therefore, says the Lord, Ask among the nations, who has heard the like of this? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They make them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into the side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back not my face, in the day of their calamity. Oh, Father, Lord, today we receive this text that's been written in Jeremiah. And we pray and ask now, Lord, that you'll lead and guide and direct us. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead now, Lord, and allow us to see how this text, written ages ago, many, many years ago, how that possibly could apply to our lives in our modern day. Allow the Holy Spirit to show us, Lord, today what we need to glean from this message, from this text. Lord, today we want to turn our attention to your word, have our hearts to be prepared to receive it, not just to fall on just deathless ears, Lord, but to hear it and apply it and understand it and truly see what you're wanting us to learn from this message, from this text. So we invite the Holy Spirit again to lead us to guide and to be here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've read that text in Jeremiah chapter 18, we leap into not really the midpoint of Jeremiah, 52 chapters in its entirety, but we're in chapter 18, so maybe it's best then that we start unraveling the text to learn a little bit about Jeremiah himself. So Jeremiah, you may already know, is known as the weeping prophet. He was born in a village about an hour's walk from Jerusalem. And he was called to be a prophet while he was still very young. In fact, his calling was written in the very first chapter in verses 4 through 10. A segment of that is behind me, you'll find, in verses 4 through 7, where the Lord speaks to him, saying, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. He's speaking to Jeremiah. He said, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But then Jeremiah said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And with that, then Jeremiah went about his calling. He went about the mission the Lord had given him, speaking the word of God, in particular to Judah, the southern kingdom, and its capital, Jerusalem, which he lived nearby. So overall, then, Jeremiah served as God's spokesman for 40 years to the nation Judah. For 40 years, he spoke as God's spokesman to the nation of Judah. Now, if you read Jeremiah in its entirety, you'll find some people say, well, Yeah, for 40 years he spoke to these people, but overall the prophet failed in his mission. Why would they say he failed in his mission? Because people refused to listen to anything Jeremiah was saying. 
They refused to listen to what he was preaching and teaching them and receiving the word from the Lord. He was giving it to them and they refused to listen. Many of you may remember the old commercial about E.F. Hutton. If you see the commercial, you know it starts off with a very crowded, noisy restaurant. This is many years ago. They don't have the commercial today. But it was sort of a very noisy, crowded restaurant. People going about eating, socializing, fellowshipping, loud, noisy. But all of a sudden, you find one particular man and his partner over there. I mean, they're talking about business. And all of a sudden, he says, well, I'm having trouble with my financials. And I really want to make a better investment. And the guy says, well, E.F. Hutton says, and at that moment, everything is quiet. You can hear a pin drop. Because now everybody in the entire restaurant has turned their ears to hear what E.F. Hutton is about to say because they want to know about what his words are regarding investment. So the caption now comes on the screen, this once crowded, noisy restaurant. Now quiet says, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. But Jeremiah wouldn't have anybody to listen to him. I mean, he spoke about the sin of Judah and their constant rebellion, their constant rebellion of turning to false gods and then telling them they need to repent or else doom is going to come upon them. But nobody listened to anything he was saying. I mean, it seems amazing. Jeremiah, I said earlier, is 52 chapters in length. It's amazing to think the impending doom was going to come upon this nation if they failed to repent and turn back to God, and nobody listens. I mean, the key verse maybe you find in chapter 2 and verse 19, which says your own wickedness, by your own wickedness, will punish you. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to forsake the Lord, your God, having no fear of him. I, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, have spoken. Nobody listened to Jeremiah. Nobody was listening upon their evil, wicked way that they were constantly engaging in rebellion, sin, turning to false idols, worshiping pagan gods. Nobody was listening saying, hey, if you continue this, doom's going to come up on you. Nobody would listen. And with that thought then planned now, we turn to our country. Apply that text now to our country. Meaning that are we then in America, particularly now us being American Christians, are we failing to listen? Are we acting like the nation Judah that Jeremiah was prophesying to and speaking to that was once caught up and certainly guilty of their rebellion, their forsaking and turning away from God? Are we failing to listen and acting just like them? And then the final question, maybe, are, are we as Americans in our sin Blatant sin that we have, we'll get into a bit later, are we failing to repent? That's the question we must ask and entertain ourselves for this morning, and of course we'll provide an answer. And the answer ultimately may surprise you to what we find ourselves and our condition of our country and that we're in. But to help us answer the question, we go back to the text and find in verses 1 through 6. If you take verses 1 through 6 where all of a sudden he's got the potter's wheel and he sees that, we take all that and begin to summarize what he is looking at as he gets this message from God. We can say that God can shape the people the way a potter shapes the clay. That's a summarization of the first six verses. But begin to look deeper at the first six verses. 
Because what Jeremiah saw actually happens all the time in a pottery shop. In that day and age, first the potter had a, a just a slump of clay he would throw into his wheel. Now the potter's wheel back in that time and day would have been probably made of wood or of stone. But the potter's wheel, either wood and stone, consisted then of an upper and lower disc. There was an upper, a lower disc that was again made of wood or stone that would be attached to an upper disc with an axle or a rod. You'd have one below where he'd turn it with his feet. And then you have another one up above that with the clay sitting on it. But as he turned it then with his feet, he would take the clay that's on top of the wheel and begin to form it and shape it. But as a parable is saying here then in verse 4, as he was Jeremiah visiting the pottery shop and sees the potter begin to shape and form it with his pottery wheel, his foot moving about in the lower disc, He's watching and sees that something in verse 4 seems to go amiss. Something seems to go wrong. The pot perhaps was not shaping up correctly. Maybe there's a flaw in the clay. Or maybe it's inferior for his delicate work that he was performing. So then it tells us the potter then skillfully formed it into another kind of vessel. Maybe he turned a pitcher into a bowl or a lamp into a cup. Or whatever seemed best to him. But notice how the entirety of the first six verses is all symbolic and points us then to an application that we have for this morning, which is this. That the potter's wheel is a lesson in the absolute sovereignty of God. It puts an end to pride and silences every boast. That's a lesson we can first apply to our lives from what we find Jeremiah is looking at upon his visits to the pottery shop. Now go back and specifically look at verse four, uh, 5 and 6. Because in verses 5 and 6, God speaks to Jeremiah and reveals to him really the symbolism of the potter and the clay parable. In verse 6, he says this to Jeremiah. He says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? There's one of the great rhetorical questions of all time written in the Bible. Look at it again. House of Israel, people, can I not do with you as the potter is doing with that lump of clay, reshaping it, reforming it? It's a rhetorical question. But just think about it, the fact that it was not a rhetorical question. And somehow someone stood up and said, uh, God, no, you can't do that. You ain't got no power over me. Who do you think you are anyway? I can't imagine anyone answering God in such a way. Now, again, remember, this is a parable. So the meaning of the parable is now become, about to come clear. Because now we see that God is trying to tell the people of Israel, the house of Israel, that they are the clay. But the clay, the people, have become spoiled through their idolatry and through their sin. The people of Judah have forsaken God to pursue worthless and empty idols. As a result, the pot that the potter is forming is not turning out the way that God had intended it. It has these spiritual flaws and character defects within. So what's he going to do? It says he will crush the clay and begin again to reform, reshape, remold his people. That's what the application is as Jeremiah sees that that's the application, that's the symbolism of what he wants the people to understand and shows to Jeremiah through the pottery shop. 
But we can take that exact same situation that is applied to Judah and now apply it to our country in, our, our, in America. So just as it was for Judah, here is the lesson. God is the potter and America is the clay. But the clay, us, people, citizens in this country, we become spoiled. We have idolatry. We have constant rebellion. We certainly have sin. So as it was for Judah, now it is for the people of America, us, we have forsaken God to pursue worthless, empty idols. There's so many times we position anything and everything above God. Oh, God, he's going to be there. We'll come back to him later. He's not going anywhere. And also we put something else in front of him and begin to worship him, like sports or work or money, other hobbies and interests. It's just simple rebellion we have in our lives. So as a result of our rebellion, the pot, which would be us, is not turning the way that God had intended it to be. We have spiritual flaws. We have great character defects. So the text reveals for us then that it's likely he will crush the clay and begin anew, remolding, reshaping his people. That's what the point of parable is trying to tell us, particularly the first six verses. But here's the question. Do you believe any of this? Do you believe that God can be the potter and that we are the clay and he can shape and form people as he will? Do you believe that that is true? That God is the potter and that we as individuals, as a nation, as a group of people, we the people are the clay. Now, as we begin to consider that question, let's go back to the text and ponder this in our mind as well. Look at verses 7 through 10. Because God says this then. If at any time, he's the potter, the nation of people, we are the clay. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. If that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil. I will relent of disaster I intend to do upon it. But he also adds, if any time a nation or people I build and plant, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good I had intended to do upon it. Now, if you fully consider what's now written in verses 7 through 10 of the parable, what these verses are stating is that God has complete authority total dominion, sovereignty, and rule, not just over the people, but the entire nation. The verses God's begin to speak here with certain doom upon the nation if they turn, if they continue their evil way. It, they'll continue to be blessed if they turn away from their evil. It's similar to what the writer Second Chronicles says in Chronicles said in 7.14, is if my people, which are called by name, called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So similar to what's been written in 2 Second Chronicles 7.14. But yet, notice how the text reveals for us that it must be one or the other that seems to happen with the potter who is God, with the clay. 
there'll be a time in which they can receive the doom or they can receive some prosperity and blessing. They'll get the blessing if they relent from their evil, if they get the doom, if they continue their evil. So as you're thinking about that, then ask yourself this question. Which category is America in currently? Are we more like the category of God withdrawing his doom from the nation, the people? Is America relenting from the disasters going to be placed upon them if they continue the evil way? Or is America more with God withdrawing his blessing, relenting of his good? Which situation do you think that we're in? Rhetorical question. Because observe here that Jeremiah is talking about a nation of people, a group of people like we are. And verses 7 through 10 then are general principles which God will deal with his people. God, as a potter, does not take a wine jar here and there and a flower pot begin to shape it and mold it. Entire nations are shaped upon his wheel. He brings prosperity and disaster upon who he will when he believes he is God. So a kingdom heading for destruction will be saved if it repents of its sin. Kind of like you may remember Jonah. When Jonah went to preach to the Ninevites, at first, you know, he didn't want to go. We know the story of Jonah. But then he eventually heard the call. He got the soul by the whale, the big fish or whatever. And all of a sudden, yeah, he goes and begins to preach to the Ninevites. Shortly thereafter, almost immediately, the Ninevites repent of their evil way and their sin. So God sees the, what the Ninevites repent, and he says, look, the doom I had upon them, I'm not going to do now. And, of course, Jonah got a little bit upset about it because he hated the Ninevites. But it also tells us that, on the other hand, a nation once blessed by God will be destroyed if it continues this evil, wicked way. So again, like the Ninevites, after Jonah, we know Nahum come up on the scene years later, about 100, 150 years later, they had returned to the evil, wicked way. And because they had done that, Nahum goes in there and says, look, you went like a dog back to vomit. You went to it again. God's going to destroy you. And God did. So, again, which are we? Think about which are we in our country. Are we going to repent of our evil way and receive blessing? Or do you think that we are more going to continue evil way and all of a sudden we'll receive doom? As you're thinking about that, maybe you're thinking, do your way off. Bro, you don't have it today. You're just thinking... Uh, there's just God does not have such sovereignty over nations today. I mean, perhaps you're asking, thinking, does God really do that today? Have sovereignty and rule over nations? I mean, it don't seem like it's really possible. Nations come and go, and they just kind of come and go in their own will. But we should make no mistake about it. Because God, yes, he still does in reward and judge individuals today, but he'll do the same thing to a nation, a group of people. A nation can also benefit from his blessings or suffer from his judgment. In fact, it seems to be that when most citizens are wicked, then God considers the nation to be wicked. And of course, when the nation seems to be wicked, he thinks, well, must be the people as well then. So no simple formula exists about which will be doom and which will maybe be prosperity or blessing. But we do see in the, in the, in the Bible Instances where it begins to indicate for us that 
Righteous people begin to suffer in the midst of it all. There's plenty of righteous people. I don't mean to paint a picture that the entire nation that we're living in right now is all bad people because we know it's not true. We know there's plenty of good people in the midst of all the bad apples. Yeah, there's a lot of bad apples, but there's a lot of good apples too. And it seems, though, that when all the bad apples seem to be more predominant and then disaster comes upon a country or group of people, that there's also the righteous people who must suffer. And we see that within the text of Genesis in chapter 18. When you find out that Abraham now begins to negotiate with God about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, he negotiates and goes, hey, God, first, I find 50 righteous people. You ain't going to do it, right? God says, no, you find 50 righteous people there. I ain't going to put any doom upon them. Of course, Abraham negotiates all the way down to, what, 10 or 5. And God can't find them. But look, he does find some. There are some. He didn't go way down to zero and didn't find any at all. So it tells us that the righteous will also suffer in the midst of all the things happening. When God begins to pronounce judgment and doom upon the people, the nation, it seems the righteous are caught up in it. That's what openly happens. And of course, it probably happened in Judah the same way. That there worked the righteous people, there were some people living the right way, honoring God, not rebelling in sin and idolatry. But because that was the majority, they were going to receive some repercussions. So all that means then is this. That Jeremiah's words today serve as a warning to America. The United States undoubtedly is one of the greatest countries in this world. We still are. But notice how we are all an empire in decline. We have been for many years. We're not as great as we used to be. Yeah, we're still the greatest, but what's that mean? We just ain't as great as we used to be. Yeah, we're still the best country to be in the entire. People still want to come to America. So we're still great. But we're a country in decline. You find we have many issues. We have many problems. We have many conflicts that exist. It's really tearing the country apart. We just aren't as great as we used to be. And we are in decline. So people sometimes ask the question, well, okay, I hadn't thought about it so much, but I mean, when possibly could it be uprooted, torn down, destroyed? Well, you see that Harold Brown observed that somewhere it would take someone with a supernatural gift of prophecy to tell us the number of days or weeks or years that the American Commonwealth can be expected to endure without being overthrown. But it does not take a prophetic gift to see a disaster on a national scale is inevitable. Now, I don't know if I completely agree with Brown here, because I don't think we're going to be overthrown, but I think we're self-destructive. That's coming from within. But either case, it leads to a second application. That the only way, Jeremiah says basically, the only way to escape such disaster that could be coming from Judah or maybe our country is to turn away from sin. It just makes sense. The way to escape doom is to turn away from sin. Which means the only way for God to relent, to continue to bless America, is if we repent. You say, repent of what? Repent of our hatred. Repent of the violence we have in our country. Repent of the wastefulness and the laziness the racism and the injustice. 
all the selfishness we have now in our country, the materialism and certainly all the sexual immorality seem prevalent in our country. According to the Word of God, a sinful nation must either repent or perish. Now, maybe you're hearing this thinking, I didn't know we were going there today with this parable. And maybe you think, well, that's kind of shocking to me. That that possibly then was written there in Jeremiah many years ago with the situation for Judah, how you can take that and apply that into our country. They didn't even think possibly we would go there today. But what is especially sad then about America's spiritual condition is that we were once a nation built and planted by God. I mean, there's no doubt that God has shed his grace on thee, right? The first colonists that came to the new world to establish a Christian community, living in the covenant of God. The Constitution of the United States is largely based upon biblical foundation and principles. God rewarded the solid foundation in our country by making America a blessing to the entire world. Again, people want to come to America, even despite the condition of things we're living within now. He used our nation. Yeah, he used our nation to bring tyrants to justice. And likewise, at the same time, used our nation and the people, the Christians. He used us to be a worldwide mission to others. But here's the thing. The United States is merely clay. And God is a potter. And he will certainly mold or mar as he pleases according to the righteousness and repentance of the nation. So notably here then, God gave this same message that we're looking at and discussing today, applying to our country. He gave that same type of message to Jeremiah then to speak to Judah and to Jerusalem. So he gave the same message, but he didn't lay it out there and say, here's the message, but he, he actually said then what's going to happen in verse 11 after setting forth all the principles of how he can continue to bless or how he can place doom, he said in verse 11, Behold, he knows the situation. He says, Behold, I am shaping, I am preparing disaster against you. He knew what they were doing. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knew their idolatry, their rebellion, their sin. I'm, I'm shaping, preparing disaster against you. I'm devising a plan against you. He says, return from your evil way. Amen, reform your ways and your deeds, your actions. He's saying, look, get right, get right right now. But the people of Judah living that day were in the hands of an angry potter, which is God. And I'm planning to see in you this morning that perhaps it's the same thing is happening to America today. And I hope you're hearing the message. Or maybe you're sitting back and think, dude, you're, uh, there's no way that's America. There's no way that's happening. I mean, why would God possibly look upon the greatest country and, and ever want to make doom upon, uh, he, he had a nation, he formed, he blessed them, grace upon thee, he had worldwide missionaries to go and spread the word. Why would he want to destroy that? Why would he send doom not continue to bring prosperity and blessing upon such a great country? Why? Where are you getting this idea? Well, here's where the idea is coming from. Just take a quick time out and look around. Observe. We need to observe that God is upset with America. 
for things like abortion, which seems in most of the country still highly available today. Or the widespread violence you can find anywhere. Violence every day on the news. Last week's message, Faith Over Fear, talked about how we've had shootings in schools, malls, subway stations, all within the last month. God is upset with America because of lack of respect of authority. And it's not just children that have a lack of respect of authority, it's adults. How many times you see on the news people really upset with police officers? Now, I know there's some bad police officers, but that's not all of them. But they still rebel at blue. Or how many people do you think actually now rebel against teachers in school? It's constant. Or God's upset with America because of the widespread pornography that's available. Divorce. Lack of family values. We could go on and name many different more reasons. I mean, same-sex marriage, transgender rights, all this stuff. In fact, last week, this is actually what prompted this message. I was speaking to Tom in the hospital last week. I was visiting with Tom. I had seen just before I went to the hospital looking at some news and looking at some highlights, I seen where Fox News had actually reported that Disney, Pixar's, Lightyear, the movie, reinstated the same-sex kiss by Lightyear. I'm thinking, you've got to forgive me. Now, originally, the kiss had been removed, but amid controversy in Florida by same-sex marriage advocates, the pressure placed upon Disney, Pixar, Lightyear character, it was reinstated. It was put back in. So now, within the first 30 minutes of the movie, you see Lightyear make a same-sex kiss. Our children are watching that. And most likely thinking, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Why is God angry with America? Because we're promoting this type of junk. Again, the point here is that what Jeremiah is telling them in their second application that the only way to escape from such disasters can be placed upon us or them at the hands of an angry potter is to turn away. It seems we must repent. You've got to get away from that sin. You've got to turn things around. You've got to repent. But is it happening? Is repentance happening? Or does it continue to get worse and worse? Look, for Judah, it didn't happen. The text tells us it didn't happen for Judah. They were to continue their own evil way. Judah wanted to go back and continue doing what they were doing. Look what me in verse 12. They chose not to repent. It says, we will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? The New Living Translation is my favorite wording. It says, don't waste your breath, God. We will continue to live as we want to. Stubbornly following our own evil desires. Are you kidding me? People are actually going to say to God, get away. We don't want you. I'm going to continue my own evil way. I don't need you. People are actually going to do this? This was Judah. They said, we're going to continue our way. And it's America. We're saying, God, we don't need you. We're going to continue your evil way. Which leads into our third and final point that the reason that God's people were so stubborn, not wanting to repent, was because they had forgotten God. 
And unfortunately, that's where we find ourselves as well. We seem to have in our country a case of forgetting who God is or kicking God out of places he's not welcome. We told God that he's not needed in schools or government buildings. There's no reason to have God we trust on the money. There's no reason to have one nation under God in our pledge. I mean, people are seemingly forgetting that God has blessed this country for many wonderful years. So we're saying, God, we don't need you. We're going to continue our own evil, stubborn, rebellious ways. That's what Judah did. And I'm afraid we're doing the same thing. But look what happens then, how the text begins to reveal the shock that would be placed upon such a country, nation, group of people would have the amnesia that forgetting about God. Verse 13, you see it says, God asked, who has heard the like of this? Who's ever heard anything like this before? I mean, it's like a freak show. Verse 14, it says, does the snow of Lebanon or Syrian ever vanish with rocky slopes? Do the cool waters from the mountains ever cease to flow? Like God's surprised by it all. God's not surprised, but it's like he's saying, whoa, this is happening? And he says in verse 15, the people have forgotten my name. Because all that is true, all that has happened to Judah, perhaps America as well, Jeremiah is forced in to let the people know the result of the forsaking God and the failure to repent. Verse 16, 17. Make their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified. He shakes his head. Like the east wind, here it comes. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. Listen to this. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Make sure you hear that last part of verse 17. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster or the calamity. It's like God saying, I'm going to turn my back on my people. And say, well, you really messed up now because God never leaves us forsaken. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says God is always with us. He never leaves his people. Deuteronomy 31 8 says the same thing. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Yes, it's true. But consider what also was written in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, 17. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then the people will rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Many evils and troubles will come upon them. So they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. We are kicking God out where he is not welcome. And evil will come upon us for such a task. Judah, as a country, was not remaining true to God. They were not faithful. And I'm afraid America is following the same path. All the verses we've looked at today and covered, particularly the parable, should be a wake-up call for all of us as Christians living in this great country. Hopefully you can hear the warning. Hopefully you can see the signs in our country. The things happen in the culture. 
Our society today seems to admire assertiveness, independence, and a great defiance of authority. I don't have to tell you, hopefully you know you can see, we live in a selfish, all-about-me society. So in a relationship with God, those are not quality attributes. Stubbornness, self-importance, refusal to listen and change. I mean, all the stubbornness that people have now, if that remains the way it is, then it's a life hostile to God. So I figure you probably see it. What clued me in even closer this week was what I found out about Disney Pixar Lightyear. It, it really rocked my world to find out that that's what Disney is truly promoting and their kids are watching it. Because it seems that once upon a time, the church led the effort in making the claims of society to say what was true and what was not. That doesn't seem to be happening anymore. But rather what's happening is the world seems to be dictating, and unfortunately then we are listening and we are following. And just being quiet. So what can we do? I mean, if that's what's happening, you're saying, okay, yep, brought my attention to it. What can we do? Well, we got to pray for revival. We got to pray certainly for our country. And we have to make a difference. We cannot follow the norm. We must be brave and courageous. Don't follow the crowd. Don't be led astray. It's like what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. We have to be notably different, not conforming to the way and the pattern of the world. Or else how could we be any different than the world? We have to be notably different. We are Christians. They will know us by the fact that we love God and will continue to promote his cause, spread the gospel, the good news. Even the world does not want to hear or proclaim it because it's true. Be different. Father, Lord, it's a difficult message to deliver, Lord, today. It's a, perhaps a Truth is found within it. Lord, a message in which, though it perhaps needs preached among the nations, we're just one small little part of this country, world, Lord. One little segment in this little country that we love and admire. So maybe even thinking that, well, we, how could we even make a difference? But let's not think that way today. Let's recognize the fact that we can be notably different and we can make a difference. We can continue to stand upon you and your word, your principles, your instructions, your commands. We can continue to preach and teach Jesus as Lord. Lord, allow us to be brave and courageous. To go into the world and proclaim the good news. And stand upon it. Not even waver from it for one minute. So Lord, equip us now to do the work you've given us to do to whatever form that may be. Allow us today to have this message penetrate our hearts, recognizing that, yes, it's a different country we're living in now than it was when we were children. So let us go about, Lord, trying to make our area of the country a better place, a place that loves you, that recognize you as Lord. But it starts at home, Lord. It starts within so we first have to start with ourselves.
to recognize that you, Jesus, are Lord. We have to come to know you as Lord. So today, Lord, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Equip us now, Lord, to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.